Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosofsky, here as usual with my favorite critic and co-host, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? Not too bad. We've got a lot of new movies to talk about, so that's always good. Yes, yes. And uh, we're going to start off with a festival, which is always an exciting thing, especially in these times. The festivals are, you know, that's where we get to see new movies and things are exciting. I don't know. I get excited when there's a festival on. And this is a beloved Canadian institution now. It's called the Canadian Film Fest. And uh, they're going to be on, or they have been, they've already started. Uh, They started on Tuesday and they're on Super Channel. So it's really accessible to everyone. It's, uh, It's pretty easy to get Super Channel. You just have to, you know, look into it in terms of cable providers and uh, there might be a streaming option. I'm not sure, but you should check into it. Anyway, super channel is what you're looking for. And uh, so the Canadian film fest is running for two consecutive weeks. uh, So they can pack in more movies, which is great. Uh, So they started on Tuesday and you know, they run from Tuesday to Saturday this week and the same next week and we'll continue the conversation next week uh this week we're going to talk about uh, a couple of movies and we're going to start off with a film called ash grove it's it stars amanda bruegel she uh you know her from handmaiden's tale um she was i think she's one of the judges on canada's um or rupaul's drag race yeah canada's Canada's drag Drag race Race. yeah yeah and she was a cast member on kim's convenience uh sugeth varagis he was a cast member on kim's convenience so a little bit of a reunion there interesting (laughs) how their characters are so very different anyway she um she stars with jonas chernick she plays a scientist. It's the not so distant future. There is a crisis going on in terms of the water supply. There's a virus. Uh, so there's, you know, kind of a pandemic feel, which is familiar. But what happens is not familiar, which is refreshing. So she is the top scientist. And so she is charged with trying to find a solution. And the weight of this is getting to her and so it's recommended that she go off with her husband into the countryside and relax. Uh, she has a hard time calming her mind and relaxing. But, you know, they get there. Things seem okay. Things start to get a bit strained. And then things start to get a bit weird. You're not really sure what's going on. You're not really sure of the perspective. It's her perspective in a way. And... Uh, the film is really great when it, you know, it focuses on details of telling the story, like things like playing a game, like they have some friends over and then they play this sort of game and just like, just the way the camera is shooting everybody and you start to feel like what is going on and the way the film twists that whole situation is it's really inventive and uh i don't think it it completely hits the nail on the head because it's a bit awkward a little bit just a little bit awkward in the way that it tries to make that twist happen but when the twist happens it 
like it totally works. So, you know, it's, it's a really interesting film. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment. Um, it's one of those films where when a key moment happens, we'll say the turn happens, I could easily seeing it divide certain audiences. Um, for me, I thought it, it worked really well. Uh, what I really liked about this film is to have a film set in the pandemic while we are still in a pandemic is to be expected that we would reach a point where all these films would start to, to come out. But I really like that this film focuses a lot on the marriage of, of Dr. Ashgrove and her husband. And the way that we can sometimes get wrapped up in our own world and how, you know, for her, she's wearing, carrying the weight of trying to save the world um, and all the pressures of that and essentially kind of ignoring the, the pressures and responsibilities that come in a relationship. And her husband is trying to be supportive, but he's also dealing with the loneliness and isolation that comes with being married to someone who is out trying to save the world. Uh, so it's a really, I thought the, the dynamics um, between Ashgrove and her husband, Jason, was just, was really fantastic. And it allows the film to kind of take you in a certain direction. And then when a, a key thing is revealed and it starts to go in a different direction, you're already invested. And even if the transition is a little awkward, it's still like, it still worked. I was still captivated with how emotions can change and relationships are, are fluctuated and how, you know, the ones that we are married to at home, sometimes you have a closer relationship with those who you work with or those that you are close friends with. Like it was just, it was a really interesting dynamic and I thought uh, was a really well done film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, those are really good points. And uh, I think it points to, um, sort of the maturity of the scripts like it, it really mm -hmm. the fact that it it is able to delve into that kind of thing and develop that and also um, director Jeremy Lalonde like the way that he can develop that sense that sense of the relationships and the differences and uh, the closeness of this relationship versus the closeness of that relationship um, I think I think he just makes it all really work well. And like I said, a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, he, it's just, there's some parts that are just so precise, you know, the details, the details matter. Um, and it's, it's the way that it's shot, you know, the closeness of certain, of certain shots and, and yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think we both agree. Ash Grove is, uh, is a film that uh, is definitely worth checking out. Yes, yes, I quite enjoyed that one. Um, another one that I saw that's also playing was the opening film, um, Toronto, and it was by Farhan Moradi, and it's a romantic comedy of sorts. Um, it's it's a film that is a romance, but also doesn't want to be your typical romance. Um, there's it takes certain shifts that I, I found interesting. Um, it's about this these two young people that are in love that eventually fall in love. One is um, Badi and the other one is Sharon. They both are from Iranian families, but their families have different experiences. Sharon's family um, left Iran before the, the revolution and Badi's after. So they 
they're now in Toronto and Sharon's family is living what you could say the high life in, in Richmond Hill. They have lavish parties, but in, in many ways they have worked to kind of put their culture behind them. Um, they have really kind of adapted to the Western lifestyle, whereas bodies, parents and family are, is more of the hardworking immigrant story where they're just struggling to get by while he's going to med school. Um, Sharon, is, they're trying to force Sharon to be a real estate agent and she's taken her um, exam, but really her, her passion is for art. So when these two come together, as with many rom-coms, you see the, the budding romance and then conflict starts to arise, specifically Sharon's father not thinking that Batty's good enough. Even though he's giving me a doctor, she wants someone who's from he wants someone for his daughter who's from a, a wealthy family. Um, so again, a lot of familiar tropes that play out. Um, I think this film works best when it is focusing on Sharon and Batty together, their moments together where you see the courtship um, and the, the romance blossoming. And then also you, you really get to see the culture and the differences through them. Um, I think where the film stumbles a bit is it tries to be too many things at once. Like it's a film that has some interesting dramatic beats. And as I said, it, it doesn't want to be your conventional love story, but then it's also playing closely to the tropes of the, the rom-con genre. And I feel that there's a, a, a tug of war that's occurring that doesn't quite fit. So there's moments where like there's a running gag where one of the characters, a supporting character is the only one who can hear the narrator because there's a narrator that comes in throughout and he's the only one that's aware that there's some voice that he's hearing in his head that no one else can hear. So again, breaking the fourth wall a bit, but it doesn't quite fit with some of the other moments and even how they use the narrator, like the narrator is there to kind of tell you a bit of the backstory, also point out um, cultural things like the beverages, what type of beverage it is, the types of food, and all those little interesting informations. But then there's times where like a scene might get tense and you'll hear the narrator say, oh, I'm out of here. Right. And you hear like the narrator walk away and slam the door. And those those are all interesting ideas. If they were in like a separate film, whereas I feel like it doesn't quite fit with the some of the dramatic beats that this film tries to to hit. So, you know, it's a it's a interesting film. I just didn't think it, it worked as well as it could have. But I, I feel like there's a lot of promise for this director. I believe it's. It was his first feature. Um, seems like he's done a, a fair bit of shorts and stuff. So, as you know, often with first features, you're you're still kind of feeling your way out. So there's there's a lot of really good moments in here. I just don't think it quite hit the mark for me. Okay, so that's um, that's the Canadian Film Fest. Uh, like I said, and uh, really check out Super Channel. It's running uh, this week, and like we'll talk about it again next week. But it's running from Tuesday to Saturday next week as well. So uh, there is a lot going on and a lot to look forward to. So we're going to switch over to a film that both Courtney and I saw at the Toronto International Film Festival. And uh, we both uh, really, really liked it. And uh, we're excited that it is getting a theatrical release. It's uh, it's a, an amazing, beautiful film. It's uh, You've got to see this on the screen, on the big screen. This is Tyrone Tommy's debut feature, and it's called Learn to Swim. It's an, an absolutely thrilling debut, and it's a, it's a, I found it to be a gripping emotional odyssey, uh, you know, a trip through the psyche 
of the main character. And the main character is Desi. Uh, he's brilliant. He's this talented uh, jazz sax player. He is uh, going over memories. Like he's sort of haunted by memories of his romance with Selma. And she, she was like the singer in the band that he plays with. And they had sort of a tempestuous relationship. They're, they're completely different personalities, right? The film is very much his film. It starts off with, you know, close-ups of him. And especially it starts off with this one very, very uh, telling, very, very, oh, it just tells you what the film is like. Uh, this close-up of him playing the sax. And that's that's exactly what you need to know is like that one shot gives you everything it gives you the feel of the film not just that it's a jazzy feel but this moody this it, it sort of like indicates already how how much emotion is packed into one shot like tyrone tommy is it's just i've seen that this is the second time i've seen it and so like i just i'm just amazed at how impactful this film is like the second time around and I, I plan to watch this film again because there's so much going on even in a single frame like I said and um, so it, it's like this it takes on this like fever dream quality because he ends up getting this um, infection in his jaw so as he's remembering things things start to get more and more intense and that's how the film progresses it's got this sort of emotional logic to it um and uh, it does this amazing thing with time like it goes back and forth between past and present and it does so with this sort of this this rhythm but and the way that tyrone tommy um does that you just like i just appreciated the filmmaking so much um because it starts to progress the color palettes give you clues, like everything is giving you clues. The way that it's framed, the movement of the camera, it, it all starts to progress um, into this sort of emotional climax, uh, but also it, in, indicative of what happens in the relationship as well. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm sort of babbling because I am just overwhelmed by, by how much I loved it on the second viewing. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I was thinking that this is a, a film that, you know, I can't wait to to add to like the Blu-ray collection. Um, yes, absolutely. What you're talking about just to to revisit and, and to study, because as you said, it actually plays even better the second time around. Like it, it's it's great the, the first time and you're you're getting the full sense of emotion. But even when you're going back and you know what's coming just to see the level of craft on display and they you know for a debut feature this is it's fantastic the, you know, everything that you said the way how they use the color the emotion the performances he gets from the the ensemble cast you know it is a there is a jazzy vibe to it but there's so much bottled up male aggression that desi doesn't know where to place because a lot of that aggression is coming from a place of hurt and trying to move forward when you're really stuck in the past and you're stuck with the mistakes you've made the decisions the 
the the the level of arrogance that he had because you know there's times where they're both trying he's trying to help Selma with her EP and you know she's got a very important session where there's studio executives and his his ego and his craftsmanship as a musician kind of takes over and he nearly jeopardizes that whole thing like there's a lot of there's a lot of moving pieces in this film that all connect wonderfully and again with the visual flair that this film offers the way how it offers the warmth of the past but in in many ways that's also deceptive because the warmth of the past is where he seems to keep going back to and it's only making the the present even more painful um both physically and emotionally and you know how does one move forward when you have all of you know you keep living in in small moments instead of seeing the whole picture so yeah just a a wonderful film um i'm excited to see what tommy does next i think he's got a very bright future in 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 cinema in general and i think he's going to be a very important voice in, in canadian cinema specifically yes and in world cinema this this is this is all the, always the exciting thing is when you know we can say uh this is not just a great canadian filmmaker mm-hmm. yep. this is a great filmmaker like when you talked about adding it to your blu-ray collection it's like yeah he's going to be on the shelf with some of the greats of cinema that i have in my collection you know the antonioni's i'm not saying like he isn't like like antonioni i'm just saying like he's the caliber of all the great artists that you can think of in cinema and yeah like i'm totally excited (laughs) i know i sound like I know I sound like um like I'm like I'm overly anyway. No, but it's it's good. It's it's always good to to discover new filmmakers, but also considering the the amount of cinema you you watch and you you see something and then you watch it again and are just as excited as the first time you saw it. Like you know, that's something special and that's not every filmmaker is able to achieve that. And to, to have that on your first full length feature and knowing that there's still a whole bunch of room to grow and explore. It's, it's, it's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what do you want to, you know, while we're <laughs> in this joyous mood, the, the Oscars are, are coming up, yeah, that, um, that's what I, <laughs> which is that's always, what I, <laughs> always big for, for us in And I know that you, we're doing a bit of Oscar catch up. So are there any things that you want to, to mention that you saw? Well, it's, I'm just laughing because uh, I'm laughing because here we were, we were so excited about this, this, this cinematic masterpiece. And um, uh, in my catch up for the Oscars, I watched some films that I left me scratching my head. They're, they're all very capable films. Okay. Uh, um, but, there's a couple of them where I was thinking, uh, I know the Oscars are flawed and I know they have always chosen badly. You know, there's always nominees here in in every category where you go, what? (laughs) Actually, it's usually in the, in the acting and the best picture and, and screenplay. It's never in the craft. Like when they, when they choose best editing and best, best uh, production design and best uh you know all the things they don't want to show on the tv broadcast basically um 
they they tend to choose like really really capable candidates you know as the nominees and then i'm looking i'm catching up on best picture nominees and uh <clears throat> all of very competent pieces of filmmaking and uh heartwarming in the case of coda absolutely heartwarming um definitely worth a watch but best picture <laughs> best picture really out of all the things we saw last year best picture worst person in the world is not in that category but coda you know and, and i do understand that it is an important film in terms of representation of uh, deaf characters right um that it it opens up the possibility that more films will include deaf characters but i've even heard the deaf community say well they're not crazy <laughs> the way they're they, the depiction goes in coda so it's problematic on a number of levels it, it's just uh okay so coda Xi'an headers film is uh it's mostly about uh this teenager and she is coda coda stands for child of deaf adults uh she is the coda of the film and so she's 17 she's in high school it's a time where things could be changing and as the film progresses things do change for her she's kind of shy she doesn't really she mostly works with her parents for her parents on their boat um and and, uh, and she yeah even her brother is deaf so everybody in the family she is the person that acts as interpreter so he, she's like a, a vital part of of the family and um but in high school this this uh teacher di discovers her gift for singing and he wants to help her develop it and in doing so he wants her to go and audition for this pre prestigious school and then from high school go and study singing and it is her passion it is her passion so uh it's an interesting enough story but i found that a lot of what was happening and a lot of you know at, when you talk about dramatic beats right a lot of the dramatic beats were far too familiar it's, you know what's happening there's no surprises no, no surprises in the filmmaking it's very standard you know it unfolds in a very standard way and uh it's a heartwarming film and it knows it that's that's part of the problem i had i felt manipulated you know i felt like when i'm watching her trying out for things or having like struggling like i felt like it was turning the screw and going okay you're gonna cry now and sure enough and as I'm crying, I'm thinking, you are manipulating me. And I just, I do not appreciate this, even though I'm crying. Uh, so, yeah, I, I had to. <laughs> no, I, I, I understand. I, I, I'm, you know, I had some similar thoughts when I saw the film. It's, it's very predictable. It's very, very formulaic. And yet it kind of wins you over at the end, you know, and similar to your point, you know, whether it's manipulation or not, I still ended up liking the film despite 
while I was watching it going, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. And then the credits rolled and I went, I actually enjoyed that, even though I kind of feel like I shouldn't have enjoyed that. <laughs> Just okay, one of those. Okay. Type of but enjoying a film, like I said, is a perfectly capable film. Yes. It's, like, it's not, it's not something where you go, oh, that was a waste of my time. It's not. But a best picture candidate. Yes. I wouldn't have, um, if I was, you know, one of those people that had a deciding vote, I would not have, it would not make my best picture. It honestly didn't even make my like top 40 list of last year. It was, yeah. Um, I think the best thing about it is um, the performance by um, the, the, the actor that played the father, Troy, Troy Kotzer. Kotzer, yeah. Uh, yeah just he's because... nominated. He's nominated for best supporting actor. Mm-hmm. That, that is like totally... Um, he deserves that nomination. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Every time. Yeah. Every time he was on screen, um, I just found that character really interesting. Um, You know, the struggles of just, you know, being a fisherman in a community where like, you know, big business is kind of monopolizing everything and forcing the little guy out and all that stuff. And just the overall personality, the dynamics he had with his wife and the children, like he was the most fascinating thing for me of that film. But again, you know, every year they, the Academy Awards will throw in one or two crowd pleasers. Usually it's of a British nature and it's usually a period piece. I think back to like the King's speech, um, even, even the queen to a certain extent where, so I, you know, on one hand, like, well, that's this is not that, which is good. But at the same time, I wouldn't have put it. But if I'm going to be honest, of the 10, I think it's 10 films that they nominated this year. And I'm actually happy they had 10. Five of them I probably wouldn't have nominated. Anyway, yeah. like I, I was yeah. not that wowed with the the list. I think there was a lot of better films that didn't make it. You know, just, you mentioned um, the worst person in the world. I, I, I think that deserves to be up there. But I can also see... I almost feel like that's a little too bold for some of the Academy voters as much as but they, but they got, they got drive my car on that list. So it's like, they know, they but, do know what good well, filmmaking is. I think what it is, is I think they, they gave you drive my car and they gave you nightmare alley because nightmare alley is the type of film that normally they wouldn't nominate. And I think they said, right. all right, you have two and we gave you a foreign film and best picture. Now let us be us and put what we normally Put in. Like yeah. if they if they hadn't done ten, chances are those two wouldn't have made it. Um, you know, every it's only every once in a while that you'll get something like a parasite breakthrough, and, and this year drive my car breakthrough. But there's a lot of other stuff that they threw in. Um, I, one film that I know we were talking about briefly off before going to air. Don't look up. I did. That's my least favorite of all the ten that was nominated. I wouldn't put that on the list. But a lot of people I, seem to like it. So, you know, it's, I totally agree. I, I agree that um, Don't Look Up is, uh, to me, not worthy of being on a best picture list. But I didn't hate it as much as other people. Uh, I thought it was perfectly capable. I thought it was funny. I thought it was like an interesting enough satire, you know. And so I think for for once, you and I are disagreeing with each other because <laughs> i i would defend that but i wouldn't put it on the list you see i i think and i and i feel that um 
with Don't Look Up, and maybe it's just because I'm getting used to Adam McKay's style as a filmmaker, I feel that he is kind of serving up more of the same every time. And the Academy just loves him so much that they are willing to go with it. Like the big short, I enjoy um, vice. I thought vice was, was overrated. I, I didn't think vice was that good. And I don't think don't look up was that good either. Like I feel he's getting to the point now with vice and don't look up where he is beating the drum of obvious, you know, yes, this is about climate change. Yes. It's about, you know, our obsession with like celebrity and gossip more than what's going on in the world. But then you filled your cast with a whole bunch of celebrities <laughs> to tell us about the dangers of celebrity worship, you know, and I just, there's the film felt hollow to me personally. I, you know, I know a lot of people like it, but I thought the jokes were obvious. The characters weren't that interesting. There was a couple of unique performances that I liked, but for the most part, I, the whole time I was just like this, I, I felt like you spent a whole bunch of money to tell me something I already know and not in a way that's going to change the needle. Like I, I haven't heard anyone walk away from don't look up saying we need to do more for the environment. They say, Oh, it was funny. It was enjoyable, but they, it, it, it didn't change the way that they look at life at all. You know, and, and this is a film for me personally that I think if you're going to, for what they're trying to achieve, I don't think it actually achieves the, you know, you're but screaming. That's what at the happened to me, Courtney. But that's what happened to me. But you know what? You're probably right. There are probably most people walked away, and it was like, oh, great. You know, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence were great, and that's all they're talking about. You're right about that. But the way it ended, it got me. It got me. And then that is that is fine. Way than Coda, actually, it got me in a deeper way than Coda. But like I said, I don't I don't know why both of these films are on the list anyway. You know, I will I will. I think it's worthy. I will strike the ire of a lot of people. I'm also going to say I don't think Belfast deserves to be on the list, and I know. I know people love it. Belfast is like, what was that? Belfast yeah. is perfectly fine. And it is a uh, fine, yeah, it's just fine. It's you fine. Know, Belfast fine. is one of those movies that um how how do I put this delicately? It's one of those films that takes a really horrific period of time and, and makes it almost whimsical and charming. And you know, I there's there's very few um things in the world where that can happen but there's certain filmmakers and certain types of films and this is one of them that will will you know will find the the sense of innocence and childhood wonder amongst horrid tragedy right and it's like okay that's that's fine i understand why it's a crowd pleaser um and i you know i understand why it got nominated i'm just saying personally i wouldn't have put it on the list i wouldn't I don't think Judy Dench was that great. I don't think no, Sirian Hines was that great in this film. That's just me. Um, but you know, that's the thing. And I and I would say, and uh, the film that I I like slightly more than Belfast, um, King Richard, some really great performances. But I probably wouldn't have put it in my top ten either. But again, this is why they don't have us choosing the Oscars. Uh, <laughs> you know, like it's I, I, my my ten would have probably been different, but. You know, yes, it's a uh, it's a yeah. scale, but I would say for sure, don't look up would not be on my 
my list. I understand why everything got there, but don't look up as the one if you said if you can only remove one for me person, that's what I would remove. Coda would would stay, but don't look up would would go. <laughs> Interesting. I really and, want to hear your opinion on licorice pizza, because uh, in terms of what you said about Adam McKay and his filmmaking and um, um, how you feel like he's he's beating the same drum um, and that he's there because he's Adam McKay. I'm wondering if Licorice Pizza Paul Thomas Anderson is there because he's <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, it's it's like a minor film of his, right? It's not, but this is this is a good film. It's it's a it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I'd really be interested to hear your opinion because it's okay. So it's a coming of age drama about. Um, Alana Kane and Gary Valentine, they're sort of both sort of growing up. They kind of fall in love. See, that's the thing is they sort of grow up and they kind of fall in love in uh, California's San Fernando Valley. Uh, it's the 1970s. So that's the most interesting thing about the film. It's the 1970s and it's the depiction of that, that time and that place. Um, it's very much a reflection of the 70s. So in terms of you know, if you remember anything about the 70s and you see this film and it's like it's like sort of reflecting it back back on you <laughs> back to you in, as uh, so it works in terms of nostalgia and it works in terms of well this is an interesting meditation it doesn't really have any narrative trajectory or any narrative logic it's sort of like this dreamy haze and if if there's anything about it that that it really has going on, I don't know enough about Paul Tom and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's films to know how much he reflects on misogyny. But it, this is full of such macho garbage guys, you know. <laughs> the whole thing is like this macho. So it's like that part of me was just going ew. You know, and so when I looked at it as a reflection, I was sort of, sort of wondering, I'd love to ask him, but I don't feel like he would answer. Like, I sort of like to ask him, like, were you just trying to reflect that era back at us to get us to rethink and how far we've come, maybe? Or do you find some nostalgia in that kind of way that life used to be and how it was male dominated and it was macho garbage dominated. And Alana Kane has to put up with a lot of weird men, a lot of like weird macho toxic men. And she does though, but that's the thing she does. So it's got this joke. And this is why I'm not sure if Paul Thomas Anderson would answer me because when he was asked about this joke um, about this this one character making this like really dumb joke about uh, his Japanese wife. It uh, he didn't really answer the question, and he sort of like shrugged it off. And it's like it you know people are arguing whether it was necessary or unnecessary, and they're arguing about whether it should you know be even be in in a screenplay category, you know for for an Oscar, and. That makes me wonder. It's like, 
there's a lot of unnecessary things in this film. And why did you do that? You know, so it's like in some ways it, you, you look at it and you go, wow, that was an interesting experience. And in some ways you go, hmm, wow, that was kind of icky. Yeah, interesting. It's one. It's the last one that I have to uh, catch up with for the the best picture ones. But I will say that he, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of Paul Thomas Anderson, and I think throughout his career, he has always um, featured toxic men who are, you know, complicated, um, and often the 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 toxic bravado is shielding something else underneath. Uh, you know, I think back to like Tom Cruise and Magnolia. Yeah. Uh, okay. Which I think yeah. he, I still think he should have won the Academy Award for supporting actor for that. You know, yeah. he, he, that one's, he's playing a character who's essentially teaching toxic masculinity only to find out that he was doing that almost as a shield because the real, the real version, the real man inside was a, a wounded child who, you know, still had a lot of father issues. I think back to like, there will be blood. Daniel Day-Lewis's character, um, a very gruff man all about business who only, you know, opens up his heart for this child that he essentially adopts and, but still can't let go of that toxic past. Even um, the Phantom Thread, you know, where you have a, a designer who's so elegant in his craft or stuff. There's still some toxicity in the way how he treats the woman he loves and stuff. So yeah, I think it's one of those themes because even like Boogie Nights, you know, there's yeah. a bunch of that. Even um, I'm thinking of Punch Drunk Love, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's Mattress Man character would be that. So yeah, I think through all his films, he's got those type of men in there and, and often showing like the ridiculous um, nature of it. But yeah, it's, it'll be interesting. I, that's that's what I'm looking forward to to catching up with. Well, he definitely shows some of the, the, the macho garbage guys. Um, he shows them to be ridiculous. He shows mm -hmm. some of them to be ridiculous. And maybe that's where he's coming from with that, with that stupid man and his like stupid jokes. Um, maybe, yeah, because you can't take it seriously. Um, and what happens with, you know, a few of these uh, like minor characters that pop into the film and add this sort of like ridiculous level to the film, like this wild sort of coincidence kind of, yeah. <laughs> when you see that, like Tom Waits is in it, Sean Penn is in it, like their characters, they show off this sort of, he does show them to be ridiculous. There are there like extreme examples of, of what's wrong, you know, of, of men be, behaving badly, of men just, and and he does sort of show them he shows them in a light where you can't take them seriously um but you know um philip seymour hoffman's uh son cooper hoffman is uh is one of the main characters he is gary valentine and uh his character you know in terms of what happens at the end with alana kane the gary and alana you know what what happens with them and in terms of their relationship and i wasn't totally satisfied i would like to hear your opinion I wasn't totally satisfied that like he he's not shown in a ridiculous light it's problematic but but then there's the whole you know the whole their whole relationship through me because you know she he's like in his teens and she's 25 
And it's like, what are you guys even like the whole probability? It's like, why would she hang out? <laughs> so I have I have questions. I have questions. And, you know, I think when when we were talking before we started uh, recording that I was saying, you know, like, I think I've gotten to the point where I need to sit down with people and like talk about movies, hash things out back and forth and have debates because I'm tired of working these things out with myself <laughs> in my head, you know. And uh, yeah, so. I would love to hear your opinion on licorice pizza, but licorice pizza it, it is totally worth worth watching. Even though I just made all these comments about this this macho stuff, and it's not totally satisfying, but it's a trip. It, the whole thing is a trip, and I think it was designed to be a trip. And it's it, the gorgeous cinematography. It looks like nineteen seventies movies. It looks like nineteen seventies photographs. It's like that. You know, there's a certain film stock where people took pictures and it sort of it had this look to it that's what the licorice pizza looks like so there's so many things going on in that film that it this is something that if i watch it again like i wouldn't mind watching it again because mm -hmm. i think i think there's some surface things that happen to me reacting to people but the same happened with magnolia you know like this is the thing to keep in mind about pt anderson is that it, he rewards multiple viewing. I just, oh yeah, yeah. So I just I just don't know that this is like a major film. So yeah, when it comes to the Oscars, it's like, well, P.T. Anderson made a film. Let's just let, let's nominate him. <laughs> you know, it's like I wonder if that was going on. <laughs> so yeah. well, some for some people, their even their minor works are still interesting enough and better than. Yes. A whole section of people. So maybe that's but yeah. true. It's better than Belfast. Hey, <laughs> and, and look, again, it's the it's the Oscars. You know, once once Sunday is officially done, Monday morning, everyone will be debating. And then Tuesday, people will start their predictions for next year's Oscars. And exactly. All that yeah. stuff. It, it's, it'll yeah. be all like, it'll be all out of everybody's systems. It'll be like, OK, let's move on to a new year, new bunch of films. <laughs> so that'll be good. <laughs> be good to move forward okay so courtney and i will move forward next week if you do watch the oscars enjoy you know do your own version of uh, the oscar parties and stuff yeah the oscar parties and and have fun at it and make it a make it a it's like an event in your own way uh because sometimes that's the only way to get through it like <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so for Courtney Small, I'm Barbara Gasowski. This has been Frameline. Thanks for listening.